0: Hey, this is Alex Volkov, you're on Thursday AI, and I just got to record this intro real quick, because today marks one of the more singular days in AI that I remember since I started recording Thursday Eyes, which was itself a singular day, March 14th, 11 months ago, when GPT-4 was released and announced. Well, since the... We since then had a few days like this. GPT Dev Day was one such day. And today marks another one. Google has released an update to their model, talking about one million tokens in the context window, basically unlimited. And then just a few, just an hour or two later, OpenAI said, you know what? We also have something in store and released the most incredible jump in capability of video generation, text-to-video generation. It's called Sora. And what you hear is us recording live, knowing only about Google, which came out an hour and a half before we started recording. (laughs) And then somewhere in the middle, I think minute 35 or something, you'll hear our live reaction to the incredibly mind-blowing advancement in text-to-video that OpenAI just released. And I just wanted to record this as I'm finishing up the editing and about to start writing the newsletter to say days like this really are the reason why I'm all in on AI and I'm very excited about the changes and advancements. And I'm sure there will be more days like this going forward. We've yet to see what Apple came up with. We've yet to really see what meta comes up with Lama 3, etc. And yeah, I just wish you enjoyed this and I don't have a lot of words here besides just letting you listen to the rest of the episode and say that I was very happy to be in San Francisco for this, the place where most of this happens. And I was very happy to be in company of good friends both in the virtual world, those on stage in our Twitter live recording, and I was sitting across from Swix, a friend of mine with whom I recorded an interview at the end of this, you can hear. I just couldn't let go of this chance. And we also had a conversation, besides the updates and the breaking news, we also had conversations with the folks who worked on some of the stuff we talked about. I interviewed Yi Te and Max Bain from RECA, which you'll hear later, and a deep dive into RECA multimodal models, which blew me away just yesterday. And so my my head kept getting blown away this week. And I also interviewed uh, the folks who built Stable Cascade, a new stability model that outperforms the existing stability models, and Dome and Pablo. And all of those were great conversations, in addition to just generally the folks who joined me from week to week, Nisten and Pharrell and Alignment Lab. And we had Robert Scoble join us, uh, with whom I've been buddying up, since Vision Pro was released, as he was expecting. And that blew me away just a week ago. And I'm very excited to share with you this whole thing. And I hope that, yeah, I hope you enjoy this as much as I do, and I hope that you enjoyed listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. And if you are, just share them with a friend. It would really help. And give us a five-star review on Apple. This was a great, gratefully help. With that, I'll give you the Thursday, I think. All right, let's go. How's it going everyone? Welcome to Thursday AI. Today is February 15th and it's quite a day in the AI updates that we've had so far. Quite a day. Even today this morning we had like a bunch of updates but besides those we had quite a crazy week as well. Very interesting show today. Very interesting show today. My name is Alex Volkov. I'm an AI evangelist with Weights and Biases and right now I'm getting My picture selfie taken by my today's co-host, Swix. Welcome, Swix. Hey, hey, hey. Morning, everyone. And uh, we're in the Latent Space studio in San Francisco. I flew in just last night. And as I was flying in, there was more news happening. So we're going to cover all of this. We have a very exciting show today. We have a bunch of guests, special guests that are coming on the second hour of this. So hopefully we'll see folks from the RECA models and hopefully we'll see some folks some stability we're going to get to talk about google and everything in between so meanwhile settled in this is going to be a great show today in san francisco and maybe i'll also probably share with you why i flew in here today Uh, that's going to come up next so welcome to thursday eye and we're going to get started All right there, let's get started. Let me smoothly fade out the music. Say hi to everyone here on stage. Hey Nistan, welcome. We have Robert Scoble over here, folks. We've been we've been more more friendly lately than usual because Robert and I are both members of the Vision Pro cult. I think that's what you call it, Robert. But today is today's is the space for <laughs> for AI. But Robert, you've been covering AI on your feed as well for, for a long time. We have Obviously, Swix is on stage, but also in front of me, which is super cool. And uh, it's been a while, brother. It's great. You just flew back from Singapore. Singapore. Yeah, chasing here. Are you jet lagged at all or are you good?
1: I'm good, actually. I uh, have had very little sleep, but for some reason, that always helps with the jet
0: lag. Yes, awesome. And I also want to say hi to Alignment Labs, Austin, and Pharrell as well, folks who are working on open source models. We usually cover a bunch of stuff that they're doing, and usual co-hosts and experts here on uh, Thursday AI. So if you never joined Thursday AI before, just a brief kind of recap of what we're doing. As I said before, my name is Alex Volkov. I'm an AI evangelist with weights and Biases. It's always so fun to say. And weights and Biases <laughs> is a company that is basically helping all these companies build their AI models, and it's super cool. And I flew in, I went to the office last night, and I have some cool videos to share with you from the office as well. And this is Thursday. Thursday is a Twitter space and newsletter and podcast that I started a year ago. And then slowly this built a community of fine folks who show up to talk about everything that happened in the world of AI for the past week. And there hasn't been many weeks like this last week uh, that highlight how important and how cool Thursday actually is because we just had so much so much to cover today and usually I start the space with a roundup of the stuff that we're going to run through just for folks who are not patient don't have a lot of time and we're going to just run through everything we're going to talk about and then we're going to dive deep because we have some breaking news and I even have hopefully I have my breaking news button. Oh, I don't. Oh my God. Okay. Oh no. I'm not set up for a breaking news button, but it's fine. We'll we'll imagine this. I'm going to put this in the, in the, in the post edit. With that said, are you guys ready to, for a brief recap? Let's go to a brief recap. So everything. All right, folks, back for the recap. Today's Thursday, Thursday I, February 15th, this is a recap of everything we talked about, and oh boy, this was one of the worst days to be caught outside of my own personal p- production studio, because my my breaking news button didn't make it all the way here, and there was so much breaking news. So obviously, as I woke up, the biggest breaking news of today was... I actually cannot decide what was the biggest breaking news. So the first piece of breaking news from today was Google releasing uh, a teaser of Gemini 1.5. And 1.5 was not only a, a continuation of Gemini Pro that we got last week. 1.5 actually was teased with up to 1 million, a whopping 1 million uh, tokens in the context window, which is incredible. It's just for comparison, ChatGPT is currently at 128 and Claude to the best Highest offering up until Gemini was 200k with Anthropic Cloud Advanced, and Google teased this out of the gate with 1 million token, and their claim they have up to 10 million tokens of context window in 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 the demos, which is incredible. And they've shown a bunch of demos. They did the needle in the haystack analysis that we've talked about from Greg Combrand and just quite an incredible release from them they talked about that you can put a whole like hour of a movie of a the, the, Dustin, Dustin Keaton I think it's called uh, and then you can actually ask questions about the movie it will give you the exact time step of something happens they talked about it being multimodal where you can provide a sketch and say hey when this this scene happened it will pull out like just like incredibly like magic mind-blowing mind-blowing stuff and all of this needs a lot of context because you take this video you take this video you turn it into images you send this into context uh, they also talked about you can send 10 hours of audio within one prompt and then some add uh, prompts on top of this and the quality of retrieval is very very high you're talking about like 90 plus percentage 95 plus percentage in in a haystack which is incredible again we had Enrico chippo a friend of the pod who worked on the yarn paper and the rope methods before extending the llama context and he brought like four papers or something that showed that open source is actually unlocking this ability as well and not only, today was a terrible day just generally, but not only Google talked about a large contacts window, we also saw that Nat Friedman and Daniel Gross just invested $100 million in a company called Magic, that they also talk about multimodality and large contact window up to $1 million as well. So it was very interesting to see both of them release on the same day as well. We then geeked out about Gemini. We talked about Andre Karpathy leaving OpenAI and and invited him to come to Thursday AI and to in Space as well. And then we also mentioned the OpenAI adds memory and personalization to ChatGPT. Chajib- which is super cool. They didn't release it to many people yet, but personalization is my personal thread of 2024 because these models, especially with the larger larger context window with perfect, perfect recall, these models will become our buddies that will remember everything about us, specifically, especially tied into different devices, like the tab that's somewhere here behind me is getting built in San Francisco. We, we briefly mentioned that NVIDIA released a chat with RTX local models that you can download and run your NVIDIA GPUs. It has rag built in. It has a chat with YouTube videos, and it's super cool. We talked about Cohere releasing an AYA 101 multimodal, and uh, our, our friend of the pod, Pharrell, was talking about how he wasn't finding it, like super impressive. Unfortunately, he dropped in the middle of this. Apologies, Pharrell. But Cohere released a, a big multimodal, which is also pretty cool. We mentioned that Nomic, our friends at Nomic, which we mentioned last week, released open source embeddings, if you guys remember. They released an update to those embeddings, uh, Nomic Embed 1.5, with Matroshka embeddings. Matroshka is obviously the, the name for the Russian doll that like sits one inside the, each other. And we're going to actually talk with the authors of the Matroshka paper in not the next Thursday, the next after that. So we're, we're going to cover Matryoshka. But it's what OpenAI apparently used, not apparently, confirmed, they used to reduce dimensions in the API for embeddings. Super cool. We're going to dive deep into this. As We're going to learn. I'm going to learn. You're going to learn. It's, it's going to be super cool. And as we are talking about, I got a ping on my phone because I'm subscribed to all updates from their main account. And we had a collective holy shit moment. Everybody's jaw was on the floor because OpenAI just released Sora, which is... A foundational video model, text-to-video model, that just blew us the F away. Pardon my French, because of the consistency. So, if and if you have seen the, how should I say, the area of video generation has been has been evolving fairly quickly, but not as quick as what we just saw. We saw first, we saw uh, attempts at taking Stable Diffusion and rendering frame by frame, and uh, the consistency wasn't there. It was uh, moving from one to. to to another like the face would change and everything you guys saw this right so we moved from the hallucinatory kind of videos uh, towards consistency videos where stable diffusion recently released and gave us svd which was like one to two to three seconds videos runway ml gives you the option to choose where the video is going to go if it's going to be zoom in like brushes all these things and now all of them seem just so futile because uh, open the eyes sora can generate up to 60 seconds of a video. And honestly, we were sitting here just watching all of us just open the Sora website, and we are just mind blown away by the consistency and the complexity of the scenes that you can generate, the reflections. There was one scene where a woman was walking through the a very busy street in Japan, and her coat stays the same, her face stays the same. There's another where a Dalmatian dog climbs out of one window and jumps into another. All the spots on the Dalmatian are perfectly in balance, the legs are it's it's really unbelievable how high quality of a thing open AI released. And what's unbelievable to me also is that the jump from what we saw in video to the open source stuff or even the runway stuff and Pico stuff, the jump in, in, in fidelity, in quality, in consistency is so much higher than the jump from like 200,000 tokens to a 1 million tokens that Google did. So it does feel like some folks in OpenAI sat there and said, hey, Google just released something. It's super cool. It's picking up attention on Twitter. Let's let's release something else that we have behind the scenes. It looked super polished. So shout out the folks who worked on Sora. It's really, if you haven't seen the videos, you'll see them in show notes. And definitely you'll see them everywhere because Hollywood is about to get seriously, seriously disrupted with the, just the level of quality is amazing. Compare this with all the vision and, and, and sound stuff. I, moving back to the recap, I'm getting excited again. We also then, we talked with, about Reka and RECA Flash and RECA Edge from a company called Reka AI. And then as I love bringing the people who actually built the thing to talk about the thing. So we had Yite and we had Max as well from Reka. Max made for Rekka to talk to us about their multimodals. I was very, very, very impressed with RECA's multimodal understanding. And I think uh, uh, this model, compared to Gemini Pro, which is probably huge and runs on all the GPUs and TPUs, this model is 21 billion and RECA Edge is even smaller. And yet it was able to understand my videos to an extent that even surprised the guys who were the co-founders of the company. It understood tonality, understood text and audio in a very specific and interesting way. So we had a conversation uh, with the RECA folks. And continuing on the thread, we also had a, a new model from stability called stable cascade that is significantly faster than SDXL and generates Hands and text out of the blue. It's based on something called Worschen, which is we learned is a hot dog today. And uh, we had the folks that work behind this, uh, Dome, and uh, I, I'm blanking on the name of the other author that joined. I apologize. It was a very exciting day. So we had a conversation with the guys behind Worschen and uh, Stable Cascade as well. So definitely check this out. We mentioned the Whisper Kit uh, runs now on WatchOS, which is quite incredible because Siri's voice to text is still not that great. And I think that's mostly of what we discussed cast and then i flip the mic on my on my friend here that sits in front of me and I just had a deep dive interview with Swix in the latent space. He just posted a few uh, images uh, as well and it was a great conversation as well. So definitely worth a follow and a listen if you haven't listened to this. With that, I think we recap a Thursday AI on one of the more seminal days that I remember in the AI one after another and we all hope that uh, they will just release Lama 3 unless I miss some stuff that's very important and just double check Nisten, out of the stuff that we've sent, the, did I miss anything else? Uh, Swix, did I miss anything else?
1: Today, there was also LangChain Series A. True. With Langsmith. Yes. There was Magic.dev Series A with Nat Friedman.
0: So I was thinking to cover this around the Google stuff, because they also yeah. announced a longer context craziness, yeah. but definitely, definitely both of those. Lambda Labs announced a 300 million Series C. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I even commented. I said, hey, Mitesh, like, good. So we love Lambda, definitely. Most of the stuff that, that we play around with is happening in Lambda, and... Lindy also had their GA launch today. Oh, nice. Okay. Today was a very bad day to launch
1: things because everyone else launched things. Yes. If you're not Gemini, it's going to be a struggle to- I was just thinking magic.dev.
0: And I guess let's move to just discussing the the breaking news of the hour as we already is. Uh, Let's talk about Google and Gemini 1.5. Do we do a musical transition? Sure. Let's do a musical transition. Where is my- Breaking news! This is not the breaking news music. By not even a stretch, this is not a breaking news music. But imagine that we have breaking news right now, because we do. Just an hour or so ago, we had an update from Jeff Dean, and then Sundar Pichai, and then a blog post, and then a whole thread, and a bunch of videos from Google. And if you guys remember some Google videos from before, uh, these seem more authentic than the kind of the quote unquote fake video that we got previously with Gemini Ultra. So just a week after Google released Gemini Ultra, which is now available as aka Gemini Advanced, and just a week after they killed Bard almost entirely as a concept, they now teasing, teasing did not release, teasing, Gemini 1.5 1.5, they're teasing it, and they're coming out with a bang. Something that, honestly, folks, at least for me, that's how I expect Google to show up. Unlike before, where they're like lagging after GPT-4 by eight months or nine months, what they're doing now is that they're leading a category, or at least they're claiming they are. And so they released Gemini 1.5, and they're teasing this with a whopping 1 million tokens in context window on production and up to 10 million tokens in context window in research. And just to give a context, they put like this nice animated video where they put Gemini Pro, which they have currently, not 1.5, the, the, the Pro version is around 32. I think, and then they have g p t four with one twenty eight and then they show Cloud two is a two hundred k and then gemini one point five is a whopping one million tokens, which is ridiculous. Not only that, they also came a little bit further and they released it with the needle in the haystack analysis from our friend Greg Comrade, which usually does this i will not be able to pronounce his name. Uh, I asked Greg to join us. Maybe he will. Uh, A needle in haystack analysis that analyzes the ability of the model to recall, whether or not it's able to actually process all these tokens and actually get them uh, and understand what happens there. And quite surprisingly, they show like 99% recall, which is incredible. And we all know previously in long contacts windows, we had this dip in the middle. We've talked about the the, the butter on toast an- uh, analogy where the context or, context or attention is like the butter and uh, context window is the toast and you spread and you don't have enough for the whole uh, toast to spread evenly. We've talked about this. It doesn't seem, at least on the face of it, that they are suffering from this problem. And that's quite exciting. This is exciting because also this model is multimodal, which is very important to talk about. They definitely show audio and they are able to scrub through I said they said, I think they said 10 hours of audio or so, which is quite incredible. Imagine just doing 10, 10 hours of audio and, and say, hey, when, <laughs> when did Alex talk about Gemini in Thursday? That would, be, that would be super dope and quite incredible. They also did video. They, they showed a hour of video of Buster Keaton's something. And because the model is multimodal, the cool thing they did is they, they provided this model with a reference with a sketch. So they drew a sketch of something that happened during this video, not even talking about this, just like a sketch. And they provided this multimodal with an image of this and said, when did this happen in the video? And it found the right timestamp. And so I'm very, very excited about this. If you can't hear from my voice, Swix can probably tell you that it looks like I'm excited as well. Because it's it's quite as far as I'm considering a breakthrough for multiple reasons. And now we're going to have a short discussion. I want to say hi to Enrico here. Enrico, welcome up on stage. Enrico Cipoli, one of the authors of the Yarn paper. And like we've had Enrico before talk to us about long context. Enrico, as we sent this news in DMs, you replied that there have been some breakthroughs lately that, that kind of point to this. And you want to come up and say hi and introduce yourself briefly and let's chat about the long context?
2: Hi Alex, yeah so there actually have been a lot of research improvements within the last couple months even from before we submitted Yarn you could still scale even transformers to millions of essentially context length back then we previously in Yarn worked on scaling the rotary embeddings, which was a traditional issue in long context. So I, I, if you don't mind, I'll I'll probably go through some of the the research really quickly because unfortunately, so on January 2nd, there was one called, it's called LLM, maybe long LM. That's a a mouthful essentially, but they were showing that you can process these long input sequences during inference using something called self extend, which allows you to basically manage the, the context window without even fine tuning these models. And then on January seventh, twenty twenty-four, there was another paper that I released. It's called Soaring from four uh, k to four hundred k, which allows you to extend like the LLMs context with something called an activation beacon. With these activation beacons, they essentially condense raw activation functions in these models to a very like compact form, which essentially the large language model can perceive this longer context even in a smaller context window. The, the great thing about these activation beacons or the LLM, maybe long LM is essentially they, they only take a few lines of code to modify the transformer architecture and get all these massive performance benefits for long context inference.
0: Are you serious Mm -hmm. are are we getting one of those breakthroughs that take two lines of code kind of like so basically all of
2: these require minimal code changes to even be able to scale to to long like token counts whether it's audio video image or text uh text is generally like the, the shortest token count if you look at something like refined web or slim pajama the the average token count of a piece of text in that is only anywhere from 300 to 500 tokens so this is actually generally a data-centric issue too when you're talking about long context with e- even training a standard natural language processing model the thing about audio and video is is these have a ton of tokens in them and the one good thing in the, the final note I'm, I'm going to put in unfortunately before i have to head out i know this was a lot of information i didn't link these research yeah and we're going to add some
0: some of this we're gonna add some some links. The links that I'd be able to find in Ruka, if you can send me, I'll, yeah, I'll add to the show. I'll notes send as well. you all the research uh, papers. Yeah. You wanna lend one last thing before we move on? Yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, so just the last thing on January 13th is is there was this paper called Extending LLM's context window with only a hundred samples. And they were essentially able to show that even in a, a very limited amount of long context samples you're able to massively improve the context lengths of these models. Uh, I I should mention, these are the papers that I I found did pretty rigorous evaluation overall, because a lot of them, there's a huge problem in long context evaluation. But I I feel these authors generally uh, applied their knowledge pretty well. And and these results are really impactful so even for the open source community because you don't need a lot of computational power to be able to scale these context windows massively now and then, so, that's basically everything <laughs> i want to say so
0: thank you enrico thank you folks uh, folks definitely uh, give enrico follow and we have uh, quite a few conversations with enrico if somebody in the open source community knows about long context, enrico is that guy and we're we're definitely going to follow up with with the links in the show notes for a bunch of this research. And I think just to sum up, and there have been breakthroughs and it doesn't look like Google is the only folks who come up today. Not not Friedman and Daniel Gross, the guys who have AI grant, they have the Vesuvius Challenge recently and invest in everything AI possibly. They just announced an investment in magic that they have a $100 million investment, quote unquote. We were so impressed with these guys when we decided to give them a $100 million from Friedman. And they also talk about the model that does something like 10 million context windows. Flix, you want to talk about the magic thing? They first talked about this
1: last year, like six months ago, and then went completely silent. So we didn't really know what was going on with them. So it's good to see that this is at least real, because six months ago they were talking about five million token context model, but nothing was demoed, not even like a little teaser graphic or anything like that. But for Nat to have invested in this amount, I think it's a huge vote of confidence. Yeah. And it basically promises that you can do proper code base embedding and reasoning over an entire code base, which it's funny to have a code model that specially does this because Gemini could also potentially do this. They it's, showed
0: in their examples. JS. did you see this? No, I didn't see the JS. but okay,
1: yeah. And we have a pretty consistent result from what we've seen so far that GPT-4 is simultaneously the best LLM, but also the best code model. Like, there's a lot of open source code models, deep DeepSea Coder, all these things. They're not as good as GPT-4. So I think there's a general intelligence lesson to be learned here that it remains to be seen, because Magic did not release any other details today, whether or not it can actually do better than just a general purpose Gemini.
0: Yeah, and so the example that they showed is actually they took three uh, JS. If 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 folks know the three JS library from Mister Doob, and they embedded all of this in the context window, and then asked questions, and it was able to understand all of it including finding incredibly huge code base. And I think I wanna just move this conversation. Yeah, Nisna, go ahead, I see, you. I see you unmuting. And folks on the stage, feel free to raise your hands. If if you wanna chime in, we'll hopefully get to some of you, but we, we have a bunch of stuff to, to chat about as well.
3: I'll just quickly say that there are still some drawbacks to these systems. And by systems, the long context models where you dump in a whole code base or entire components in, and the drawbacks even from the demos, still seem to be that, yes, now they do look like they're much better at reading and intaking the information, but they're not yet much better at outputting similar length output. So they're still gonna only output, I think, up to 8,000 tokens or so. And I don't know if that's that's a byproduct of, of the training or they could be trained to re-output much longer much longer context. However, the benefit now is that unlike retrieval augmentation system, unlike a RAG, the the drawback with a RAG was that yes, it could search over the document, but it would only find maybe two or three or a couple of points and bring them up. Whereas this one is more holistic understanding of the of the entire input that, that you've dumped in. But again, we're not quite there yet where they can just output a whole textbook. That's that's what I mean. So that's the thing. That's the next challenge to solve.
0: So I think I think the the immediate reaction that I had is very similar to what you had Nistan. Rag is something everybody uses right now. And we've talked about long contacts versus versus something like a rag before. and the usual conversation that we have is usually about cost. How much does it cost you to pair these tokens, right? If you send 10 million tokens and each token is like a cent, you're basically paying 10 million cents for, for every back and forth. Also, speed and and user experience. If your users are sitting there and waiting for 45, 60 seconds because you sent a bunch of contacts, if you can solve this with RAG, then RAG is probably a better approach for you. However, however, this specifically looks like at least from the examples that the Google did, they showed the video transparently, they sped up the inference, but I saw something where, with at least the video question, it took them around 40 seconds to extract a frame of a video of an hour. They sent an hour worth of context of a video within this thing, and it took them 40 seconds for this inference, Folks, like I said before, and I'm going to say this again, regular ChatGPT, not even crazy context queries took me sometimes 40 seconds. Now, you may say, okay, Alex, they showed the demo of their environment and ChatGPT is in production environment. Yes, but the possibility is if I can send, I don't know, 500,000 tokens in the context window and then within 40 seconds get a response, which is... Equivalent to what I get from GPT-4, then I think that a bunch of the conversation about RAG being uh, better just from a, a speed of inference perspective are, are, are slowing down. An additional thing I want to say before I get to you, Yam, just a second: the immediate response in my head was, okay, RAG is done for, or at least not done for, but definitely the kind of the crown on RAG's head. Everybody's talking about RAG, there's vector databases everywhere. We just had folks talk about Cold Bert and different things. RAG is, okay, RAG is now shaky. But th- the other thing I started to think is, is fine-tuning also under risk? And Swix, I think this goes back to what you just said about like the general models versus the maybe the fine-tuned or a very specific models. Because if a general model can take a whole book, and they had an example about this where there was a very low research language, Kal- Kalamathi, Kalabathi, something like this, and there's only one book that's a dictionary for this language, they literally threw the book in the context window, and the model was able to, from context learning, to generalize and understand this and perform better than fine-tuned models. And I'm thinking here, okay, RAG is the first thing to go. Is fine-tuned second? Are we going to stop fine-tuning and sending context? So, Swix, want to hear your reaction about, about the language thing, and then we're going to get to Yam, and then we're going to ask some more folks.
1: Yeah, I think there's generalizable insights about learning about language, and it's not surprising that throwing that into the context window works, uh, especially if it's a cognate language or something that it already knows. So then you're just learning, substitutions. And don't forget that transformers were initially trained to do language translation. Like This is like bread and butter stuff for transformers. The second thing I would respond to is I have to keep saying and banging this drum, long context does not kill RAG because of cost. Mm. Imagine if every time you throw 10 million tokens of context in (coughs) in, in there, you have to pay like $1,000. Because unless... Fun- something fundamentally is very, very different about this paradigm, you still pay to ingest those tokens of cost. Yeah. So ultimately, people want to still rag for cost and then for attribution reasons, like debuggability attribution, mm. which is something mm-hmm. that's still valuable. Yeah. So I think long context is something that I have historically quite underweighted for this reasons. I'm looking f- to change those assumptions, of course, yeah. because...
0: Obviously, this is magical capabilities, if you can use it. Yeah, 10 million, especially, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I want to get to you. You have your hand up uh, a little bit, and then we're going to yeah. ask some more folks about opinions about this and then move on.
4: Yeah, uh, I just want to say on the topic of, of latency and ingesting a lot of context, I think that there is a solution that we didn't talk about here and will be something that is going to be incorporated in all the flagship models, which is embedding, embedding knowledge into the KV cache. Which is something that many of the inference uh, engines today can do. Uh, you simply just prefix the, the context beforehand, and then you don't need to process it through your model. So you're not sending the whole database each time you are calling your model. It's just saved. Imagine that OpenAI have some sort of an API that you embed the KV cache beforehand, and it's reduced price, of course. And then it uses that uh, as, as your context, it basically is somewhere in the middle between the two. And the reason that it's not supported now in flagship models, because the first flagship model that support a million tokens uh, came out today, but I think that if we see this, this, if we go there, this is something that we're going to see in all of the APIs. And moreover, I also don't think that RAG is done for because RAG is explaining to you very, very clearly and very simply where the information is coming from, what the model is basing itself on. You can claim that the model with the attention, you can do it as well, but it's not like RAG. RAG, you're just showing the clients, the people exactly where it comes from and there are use cases where this is absolutely a must. So I think that there'll always be room for RAG for these specific use cases and long context with kv caching is going to be i think i think the methods for embedding for example a full database or a book or something big and using it multiple times with many different prompts
0: or or also multimodality, right? So thank you um, uh, for for this. Definitely, definitely makes sense. And I think somebody in the comment also left a similar comment as well. Uh, so we we want to dive into the KV cache stuff, maybe maybe in the next one. Uh, but I want to talk about the multimodality part of this because. Um, We've we've multiple times mentioned. And I think we we did this every Thursday since GPT-4 launched because we were waiting for the vision part of GPT-4. And we've talked about 2024 being the year of multimodal. And we're gonna have to talk about a bunch of multimodal stuff today, specifically with the RECA folks and the RECA Flash, which understands videos. They basically. So the, the, I'm I'm gonna have to see whether RECA understands videos better than Gemini. But the the Gemini folks talked about there's a specifically a bunch of multimodal uh, effect on the context window where if you send videos, you at least the way they, they did this was just frames. They broke down this movie to a bunch of 500,000 frames or so and just sent it in context window. And they basically said, we have all this video in the context window and then we have a little bit of text. And I think context window expansions like this will just allow for incredibly multimodal use cases, not only video, audio they talked about. We've talked about previously with the folks from uh, prophetic about different fMRI and eEG signals they 're getting like multimodal like applications as well, and the context window enlargement for these things Google specifically highlighted, and I want to highlight this as well because it 's definitely coming i 'm waiting for being able to live stream video for example, and I know some folks from like twelve labs they 're talking about almost a live live stream embedding. Um, So definitely multimodal from Google. I think, folks, we've been at this for 30 minutes. All right, so folks, I think we're going to move on and talk about uh, the next kind of couple of stuff that we've already uh, covered to an extent, but uh, there's some news from OpenAI, specifically around Andre Karpathy leaving, and uh, this was announced, I think, broke in the information, and Karpathy, uh, some folks here call them senpai. uh, (laughs) Karpathy is a very, uh, very legit I don't know, top 10, top five, whatever researchers and uh, could potentially have been listening to the space that we had with LDJ after he left. Uh, Or, yeah, I think it says it was clear that he left. It was the information kind of announcement didn't have a bunch of stuff but then Andre just as as a transparent dude himself he came and said hey this wasn't a reaction to anything specific that happened because speculations were flying and I think at least <laughs> at least to some extent we were in charge of some of these speculations because we did the whole space about this that he could have just listened to but a uh, speculation was flying maybe this was Ilia related maybe this was open source related like all of these things Andre basically helped start OpenAI then left and helped kickstart the Tesla autopilot program scaled that to 1500 then left Left. On the chat with Lex Friedman, Andre said that basically he wanted to go back to to hands-on coding. And in OpenAI, his bio at least said that he's working on a kind of Jarvis within OpenAI. And definitely, Andre has been also talking about the AI as an OS. Suix, you want to you want to cover like the, his OS approach? I think you talked about this. He, he had the whole outline. I think you also LMOS. Yeah.
1: He wasn't working on it so much as thinking about it. Thinking about it, yeah.
0: And maybe now that he's
1: independent, he might think about it. The main thing I will offer as actual alpha rather than speculation is I did speak to friends at OpenAI who reassured us that uh, it really was nothing negative at OpenAI uh, when he left. Yeah. Apparently because they spoke to him before he left. Um, so, yeah, he's for, for, uh, the way I describe it is he's following his own internal North Star, and every time he does that, the
0: rest of us win. And definitely the rest of us win. The open source community is hoping, or I've seen many, many multiple takes that say, hey, Andre will unite like the, the, the bands of open source, <laughs> the different bands of open source. Andre posted this thing on his uh, ex where like his calendar was just free, which shows maybe part of the rationale why he left because meetings and meetings and meetings and everything, and now he can actually work. So shout out to Andre Karpathy for all he did in OpenAI and uh, for all he's going to continue to do. We're going to definitely keep up to date with the stuff that he releases. Andre, if you're listening to this, you're more than welcome to join. We're here on every Thursday. You don't have to have a calendar meeting for this. You can hop on the space and just join. Also on the topic of OpenAI, they've added memory to ChatGPT, which is super cool. They released a... A teaser. This I, I didn't get into the beta, so they released it to a limited amount of people. They added memory to ChatGPT, and memory is very, very cool. The way they added this as well. So I've I've said uh, for a long time that 2024 is not only about multimodality; that's obviously going to come, but also it's about time we have personalization. I'm getting tired of opening a ChatGPT chat and have to re- remember to say the same things on uh, it doesn't remember the stuff that it previously said the folks in OpenAI are working on the differentiator, the moat and different other things especially now where Google is coming after them with the 10 million context window tokens and they're now adding memory where ChatGPT itself like the model will manage memory for you and will try to figure out oh, OpenAI oh my god breaking news OpenAI just shared something as I'm talking about them you guys want to see this? Literally, I got a notification what from OpenAI. Isn't talking about this? What? Let's look at this, I, dude. I needed my my breaking news button today. OpenAI said, introducing Sora, our text-to-video model. Sora can create videos <laughs> for up to 60 seconds. Fitch. Holy shit! This looks incredible. <gasps> Oh my God! Somebody, please pin this to the, to this Nisna. You have to see. The, the, there's a video, 60 second video, folks. Yeah, this is like crazy. Like all of the. <laughs> oh my God! Breaking. I have to put the breaking news button here. Holy shit! So, folks, just to describe what I'm seeing, because uh, somebody, please pin this to the top of the space. Every video model we had so far, every video model that we had so far does three to four seconds. Pika. Uh, but the other labs, I forgot their name now, Runway. All of these models, they do oh a stable God, video Runway. diffusion. <laughs> they do three to five seconds, and it looks like wonky. This thing just that they show generates a 60-second featuring highly detailed scenes. And the video that they've shared, I'm going to repost, and somebody already put it up on space, has folks walking hand-in-hand hand throughout a... There's a zoomed-in, like behind-the-scenes camera zooming in. There's a couple... Consistent, I I cannot believe this is generated. Holy shit. Uh, the, the consistency is crazy. Nothing changes. You know how like, previously video would jump frames and faces and things would shift? Oh, wow. Okay. So I guess we should probably talk about this. Reactions from folks? I saw LDJ, you wanted to come up to see the reaction. I'm <laughs> still kind normal, of a little bit Honestly,
5: it looks crazy. It looks really good quality. Better than uh, most uh, text to video models that I've seen. Oh.
0: <sighs> Holy shit. Okay, so I'm scrolling through the, the page. Uh, folks, yeah, f- f- for those of us who are listening, uh, openai.com slash Sora. Sora is their like, text-to-video. I'm seeing a video of a model walking through like a Japan street, whatever. The prompt is, a stylish woman walks down a Tokyo street filled with warm, glowing neon animated city signage. She wears a black leather jacket, long red dress, and black boots. And the consistency here is insane i but do not use this word lightly
5: or actually go on their website on the sora on OpenAI's eyes website uh, they've got a few <gasps> examples it's it's crazy it's crazy I've, holy shit! i've never, I've never seen a
0: the, if you showed me this yesterday thing. pharrell if you showed me this yesterday and said this is generated i would not believe you so what happens is now the same video of this woman walking they have a video camera zooming in into her eyeglasses her face stays the same yeah. the same consistency yeah, and yeah, yeah. you can see reflection in the in the sunglasses. Holy
5: shit, Alex, you have to go on their website. There's like this video of oh like literally the prompt is reflections in the window of a train traveling through the Tokyo suburbs. And oh wow. Honestly, it looks it looks like someone captured this. The way this is AI generated.
4: It's it's crazy.
0: Wow, folks. What what's the availability of this? Let's let's see, what do we know? So we know safety. We'll be taking several important safety steps ahead of making sure available on OpenAI's products. So it's not available yet. Uh, working with red teamers, they don't want this to be used in deepfakes for porn, obviously, that's like the first thing that the waifus are going to use it for. Uh, the C2PA metadata that, if you guys remember, we've talked about that they started including in DALI. They're going to probably include this as well. And new techniques prepare for deployment, leveraging the existing safety methods. Okay, research techniques. <laughs> that
1: seems crazy.
0: Consistency so, is crazy, right, folks? Yeah, it's not available, it looks like. Not available yet. To answer
1: your question. They released some details about it being a diffusion model. They also talked about it having links to DALI 3 in the sense that... Uh, honestly, uh, I don't know if people know that there was a DALI 3 paper, which is very, very rare. Really? In uh, this age of not close, not open AI. Yeah, not very and open AI. So they were doing this like, synthetic data recaptioning thing for the... Dolly 3 model, and they're referencing the same method for Sora. I would just go read the Dolly 3 paper.
0: <laughs> wow. I, I The consistency has been the biggest kind of problem with these. LDJ, go ahead, please, as I'm reading this and reacting, and, and my mind is literally blown. The demo of the doggy. hold on, one second. There's a demo, there's a video of the dog, like walking from one window and jumping to another window, and the pause, they look like it's a video. Like, folks, l- like literally does not look like generated. like anything we've seen before
5: okay this is going to disrupt hollywood immediately we're talking about text to video disrupting media content uh, creation and so on this is it this is like the mid-journey moment of of text to video that same feeling that we had when we were able to prompt mid-journey and get some really high quality uh, images. This is the same, but for video, essentially.
0: This this breaks reality for me right now. Literally, I'm watching this video multiple times. I cannot believe that the dog's paws are not like, shaping in different shapes. The spots on this Dalmatian dog stay in the same place throughout the video. It, it don't make sense. All right, DJ, go. I think. I think. Yeah. Sure.
5: So Sam here. Holy I'll post shit. it on the on the ding board. Sam said I that just did- uh, that certain select creators have access now. And oh, I just lost the tweet. I'll I'll get it. But yeah he says that some creators already have access, and I guess they're gonna slowly expand it out to like beta users or whatever yeah
0: Wow, so Sam asked for some we can show you what Sora can do, please apply with captions for videos you'd like to see, and we'll start making some. so I'm oh gonna, yeah,
1: basically give him some really complicated prompt, and let's let's go let's go.
0: A bunch of podcasters sitting watching <laughs> Sora and reacting in real time, and their heads are blown, not literally because this is insane. How's that for a prompt? I'm gonna post it. Hopefully, some will get it.
3: Just opening a portal through Twitter, through OpenAI, to the moon. and then stringing code. Oh, on. there's, there's <laughs> also.
0: Yeah, I don't want to spend the rest of Thursday because we still have a bunch to talk about, folks. But is anybody not scrolling through examples right now? And you definitely should. There's an I mean, example of a. There's chameleon. only nine examples. What? What have do you they, mean? The whole. No, website has a bunch. Scroll down. There's like every every kind of example has more uh, okay, scrollies. Okay, okay, okay. So I'm looking at an example of a chameleon which has a bunch of spots and has... Guys, the spots are in the same place. What the fuck? It doesn't move. Yeah. It does not look... Yeah. like Honestly, let's do this. Everybody send this to your mom and say, hey mom, is this AI generator or not? Like, older folks will not believe this shit. Like, they would think I would I say...
5: The, what's the most impressive is... Compare
0: this to Google human, Lumiere. Right?
1: Like, Humans I don't know. Tra- they- wait, I think wait, you guys covered a
0: I think I think we're talking over each other. G- give us a one sec, two and then for all. Oh, sorry. Yeah, there's a bit of a lag.
1: Uh, I I oh no, no, nothing. Just uh, compare this to Google Lumiere, where they release a bunch of sample videos as well. Yeah. But you could, the the I was impressed by the consistency of the Lumiere demo videos. They would they demoed sort of pouring syrup onto a pancake, and then infilling the syrup and showing that it would be pretty realistic and pouring that, all that syrup stuff. Didn't really see that kind of very technical test here, but the resolution of these videos and the consistency of some of these movements between frames and the ability to cut from scene to scene is way better, instantly way better. I was thinking that Lumiere was like state-of-the-art a few weeks ago, and now it is completely replaced by Sora. This is a way better demo.
0: I think OpenAI is showing Google how to ship. (laughs) OpenAI... Decided to say, you know what, Google? You think you can one up us with the context window? We got another thing coming because I
1: just pull up the Lumiere page and then pull up the Sora page and just look at them side by side, and you can
0: see how much Lumiere (laughs) Lumiere was mind blowing as well. Go ahead for go ahead because we're we're still reacting in real time to this whole ridiculously impressive.
5: Yeah, I I was just saying that the the most impressive thing are is like how alive these video shots feel, right? Humans talking, action scenes. Like all the text-to-video models that I've seen so far and I've uh, I've used were very very simplistic, right? It felt like more like you're animating an image to do very minor movements. It wasn't actually alive in any way. But Sora's text-to-videos is is nuts. The quality, the consistency, the the action, like the the actual action of of the the characters. I wonder how much. Like granular control do you have on a scene to scene basis? I know that like, Google released uh, like a paper I think a few months back where they had like basically like a script that allowed the the like for much more long form video content. but I'm not sure if that's the case here it, it's just it's just really impressive it's It's really impressive.
0: I want to say one of our friends uh, Lachan just sent at the bottom of the page. It says, "Sora serves as a foundation model. They can understand and simulate the real world." (laughs) What the fuck? I can. It's really hard for me to even internalize what I'm reading right now because the simulation of the real world it triggers something in me, tingles the simulation hypothesis type of thing. If this can regenerate a map of the world and then zoom in and then generate all the videos, and I'm wearing this mixed slash augmented slash spatial reality headset that it just generates, and this happens on the fly. And what am I actually watching here? So this says, "Sora serves a foundation for models that can understand and simulate the real world, a capability we believe will be an important milestone for achieving." agi yeah all right folks i will say let's do two more minutes because this is <laughs> i can't believe we got both of them the same day today holy shit we got 10 million contacts window from google announcement which is incredible multimodal as well i like my my, my whole thing itches right now to take the videos that open AI generated and shove them into into a uh, gemini to understand <laughs> what it sees and see if, if it understands it probably will Wow, you folks. think that
5: would make this Thursday a tiny bit even more awesome is if Meta comes out with Llama Street? <laughs> I... <laughs>
0: too, much, too
5: much, too much. No, that's it's, it's gonna
0: be too much. We need we need a second to like breathe. Yeah, definitely, folks. This is a. Literal like singular day again. We've had a few of those. We had one on March 14th, when Thursday I started. OpenAI released GPT-4. Anthropic released Cloud, I think on the same day. We had another one when OpenAI Dev Day came about. And I think there's a bunch of stomp- other stuff. I consider this to be another monumental day. We got Gemini 1.5 with uh, with a potential 10 million context window, including incredible r- results in understanding multimodality in video, up to an hour of video, they say, then up to 10 hours of audio, and then we also have some folks from Reka that are gonna come up soon and talk about their stuff, which is they just with all due respect with Reka folks, th- this news seems bigger, but they still launched something super super cool we're gonna chat about. And now we're getting it just the, the 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 distance we're used to jumps. We're used to state-of-the-art every week. We're used to this. We're used to this model beats this model by fine-tune, whatever. We're used to the open eye leaderboard. This is such a big jump on top of everything we saw from stable video diffusion. From what are they called again, I just said their name. Uh, run, uh, runway, I forgot. The, always forget their name. Poor, poor guys. Best, <laughs> poor runway. From Pika Labs. From from folks who are generating videos. This is just such a huge jump in capability. They're talking about sixty seconds. Oh Meta just announced Jeppa. Yeah, I don't know if Jeppa is enough. So people are commenting <laughs> about uh, Jeppa, and I'm like, okay, wait, hold on. You you spiked my heart rate when you said Meta just announced. I was like, what the fuck? Meta literally just came out with an <laughs> V Jeppa, supervised learning for videos. But I, folks, unless they come out with Llama three and it's multimodal and it's available right now, not, Meta is not participating in the single day <laughs> oh, wait, of, of February 15th. So this
5: is this is something actually a paper yeah, they came out with like about a month ago but this is for video understanding. So this is pretty much like for input of video while OpenAI's as model is for output of video.
0: It just, I will say it's a research thing, right? So they're not showing anything there unless I'm mistaken. Um, I kinda, so I, I still have a bunch of stuff to, to, to give you updates for and we still have a bunch of interviews as well. There's a new stability model, but I'm still like blown away. And I just want to sit here and watch the videos. Is this what Ilya saw? Yeah, somebody reacted like, "What did Ilya see? Did Ilya see a generated video and the model understanding this?" And th- that's why. That's why.
5: No, I think I think I think AGI has been achieved internally <laughs> at this rate.
0: Wow, I, I I'm I'm still blown away. Like I, if a model can generate this level of detail in very soon, I just want to play with this. I wish I wish we had some time to. To, to, I, I, Alicia was one of the artists, and I hope that somebody in the audience here is, and that they will come to talk about this on Thursday. I and because I'm, yeah, I'm still mind blown. So I see quite a few folks that I invited that I wanna, I wanna welcome to the stage. VJEPA understands the world, While Sora generates one. That's the comment that some folks led. And okay, okay, v- VJEPA is going to be something we definitely cover because Meta released this, and Meta are the goats. Even though, yeah, no, Meta is definitely goats. I'm just a little bit lost for words right now.
3: Yeah, so if people have watched a lot of speeches from Jan LeCun, is the the main idea is that these AI models are not very good at understanding the world around them or thinking in 3D. So in some ways you could reason out that a cat is a lot more intelligent. Even if it was blind and it couldn't smell, it could still figure out where to go and find the letterbox. Stuff like that. This is one part that's missing from the world model that they get purely just from word relationships or, or word vectors. And so this is a step in that direction, it seems. Again, I haven't read the paper, so I'm half making stuff up here. But it, it feels like this is a step in in that direction towards AI models that understand what's going on, like us and animals do. So that that's the main the
4: gist of
0: it for for the audience. Oh, wow. what what a, what a Thursday! What a Thursday! I gotta wonder how I'm gonna summarize this all of this. And I just want to invite: we have Yitai here in the audience, and I sent you a request to join. If you didn't get it, make sure that you're looking at requests and then accept. And then we should have we should have Max as well at some point. Let me text Max because we have guest speakers here from Breca from that we want to chat with. Meanwhile, I'm going to continue and, and move forward in some of the conversations. Let's roll back to, okay, while we're still super excited and I can't wait for this to come out, this is an announcement that they did. It's very polished. We haven't seen, didn't see any access or anything about when it's going to come out. Uh, I do feel that this is a breakthrough moment from Google and from OpenAI. And it does look like it's reactionary to an extent. The folks in OpenAI were sitting on this and saying, hey, what's a good time to release this? And actually now, to, let's steal some thunder from Google and there are like 10 million things that also not many people can use. And let's show whatever we have that not many people can use, which which is an interesting thing to think about because again the pressure is on a bunch of other labs on meta to release something we know lama Three is coming at some point will it be multimodal will it be able to generate some stuff every
3: really really quick sorry sorry to interrupt
0: go ahead (laughs) the the thing
3: about vjeba seems to be good at is understanding video instructions i guess you could point the camera to something you're doing with your hands and arts and crafts things or repairing something and it understands what you're doing so the That's actually very powerful for what data sets, data sets of skills that will come because then you can generate actions. I I think that that will apply a lot to robotics, what they're doing.
0: Oh, all right. Yeah. And they also have the Ego4D data sets of robotics as well. And they've talked about this. So let's go to open source like super quick. NVIDIA released a chat with RTX for local models. And it's actually like very, very cool. So a few things about the chat with RTX. First of all, NVIDIA packed a few, a few models for you. It's 38 gigabyte or something download. And they, they have they have quite a few, I think they have two models packed in there. I wasn't sure which ones. And this this is basically a, a package you download, I don't know if a Docker or not, that runs on any desktop PC with RTX 30 or 40 series with at least 8 gigabytes of RAM. And it gives you a chatbot that's fully local. And we, we love talking about open source and, and local stuff as well. And it not only that, they give you a rag built-in. So you can actually run this on some of the documents that you have. They also have something that uh, runs through a YouTube. You can give it like a YouTube playlist or a video link and it will it will have you talk to a YouTube video so it b- has built-in rag built-in tensor rt llm which runs on their on their stuff rtx acceleration and i i think it's pretty cool like it it works only on the very specific types of devices only for like gamers or folks who, who run these things but i think it's pretty cool that that folks are that nvidia is releasing this they also have something for developers as well to be able to build on top of this. And I think the last thing I'll say about this is that it's a Gradio interface, which is really funny to me that people are shipping Gradio interfaces on production. And it's super cool. Cohere releases an open source called AYA 101, a model that's like 12 billion point eight parameters model with understanding of multilingual 101 languages from Cohere. It's, it's honestly pretty cool because Cohere has, has been done doing a bunch of stuff. AYA outperforms the Blooms model and MT-0 on a variety of automatic evaluations despite covering double the number of languages. And what's interesting as well, they released a data set together with AYA. And then what is interesting here? Yeah, just, oh, Apache 2 license, which is super cool as well. Apache 2 license for, for this model. Let me invite you as a co-host. Maybe that's as, this is the way you can, can join. For go ahead. Did you see, Do you, you want to talk about AYA?
5: Yeah. First off, I, I appreciate and commend Cohere to uh, building a multilingual open source data set and so on. That's awesome. We need more of that. But unfortunately, with the first few questions that I asked, in Arabic specifically, most of the answers were complete nonsense on their trained model. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and uh, to, to the point that it's, it, it's laughable, right? For instance, in Arabic, I asked, who was, the fir- who was the first nation that had astronauts on the moon?
0: Yes. I think, I think you
3: cut out for a sec.
0: Oh, I think it dropped. I don't see him anymore.
3: He might have. We're his gonna, phone might have yeah, died. we're going to have to. Yeah. I, I can briefly uh, might have the, c- comment on it. Yeah. Yes, please. We're, we're pretty happy now that also Kahira has started contributing. To, to open source because oh, uh, data sets are, are very important. And yeah, I, I think the reason it wasn't performing so well in other languages is just because some languages did not have, th- there wasn't enough data in that for it to be to be trained. But the beautiful thing is that it is Apache 2.0. You can just add your own languages data set and it will literally make the whole thing better. And yeah, that's those are my comments on it.
0: Awesome. All right, folks. So now we're moving into the interview stage, and we have quite a few folks. One of the most favorite things that I want to do in Thursday, and it's been an hour since we've been here, is to actually talk with the folks who released the stuff that we're talking about. So the next thing I'm going to announce, and then we're going to talk with Yite and Max, and then after that, we're going to talk with Dome uh, as well. Earlier this Week, uh, a company named Reka AI uh, released two models, or at least released a demo of two models. Right? Uh, I don't think API is still available. We're going to talk about this as well. Called Reka Flash and Reka Edge, and Reka Flash and Reka Edge are both multimodal models that understand text, that understand video, understand audio as well, which is like very surprising to me as well. And uh, I had a thread where I just geeked out, and my head was blown to the level of understanding of multimodality. And I think some of the folks here had 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 talked about. Sorry. let me reset uh, some of the folks here on stage have worked on these multimodals models and so with this i want to introduce yi tay and max bain yeah uh, please feel free to unmute and introduce yourself briefly and then we're going to talk about some record stuff go uh, yi first maybe and then max uh,
6: yeah thanks thanks alex for inviting me here can people hear me actually
0: yeah we can yeah. hear you yeah. well, okay please. great, great. because this is the
6: first hey this is the first time you're doing spaces, so it's yeah, Trying to figure out how, how to use it, but thanks for the invite, Alex. And uh, so I just introduced myself. I'm Eday and I'm one of the co-founders of uh, Record AI. Uh, we have like a new startup in the LRM space. We train multimodal models. Previously, I worked at Google Brain, working on Flan and UL2 and stuff like that. So yeah, that's just a short introduction
7: about myself and maybe Max, do you want to introduce yourself?
0: Yeah, th- yeah, Max, go ahead, please.
7: Thanks, Ian. Yeah. Thanks for, Alex for having me. So yeah, as you said, yeah, I'm part of Wrecker. So I joined more recently, like six months ago. I just finished my PhD and that was on like video, audio speech understanding. I've done a bit of work in open source. So if you use WhisperX, X, that was like something I worked on and yeah, now working more on part of Wrecker and really enjoying it. So yeah that's pretty much it
0: first of all let me just say thank you for Whisper X I did use this and it was awesome and I think this is how we connected before or at least to to some extent I think this is the reason maybe I follow you I was very surprised that you were RECA let's talk about the models that you guys just just released and because very impressive on the multimodality part but also very impressive on just the the regular comparative benchmark and I think you guys released the comparisons to uh, just regular MMLU scores so RECA Flash gets 73.5 on MMLU and uh, 65 on human eval and gpt4 is at 67 at least and gemini ultra they claim is 74 but your guys model is like significantly smaller uh e- what can you tell us about uh, and i know you said before there's like a bunch of stuff that you won't be able to talk about what can you tell us about the performance just on the textual kind of comparison even though this is a multimodal model and there's a bunch more that we will talk about yeah
6: thanks so i'll just i can't really say that much but i can say that there's quite a lot of headroom in pre-training just for language alone. And I think that we're still not near the headroom yet for pre-training. And I think even for us, actually, we have a better version of Record Flash internally right now, but we've not even published metrics for that because while we were preparing for the launch, we actually have a, even a better model now. Uh, so I think actually there's still quite a lot of headroom for pushing that. And uh, there's quite a lot of things to do in pre-training, uh, but I, I can't really wouldn't be able to say much about like more details Yeah
0: about specifics I did see the comments that you left in your thread that you talked about the, the folks who do foundational models from scratch they there's a lot of a lot of creation they have to do in the process as well and it looks like at least some of this amount some of this amount of hard work you guys had to go through in order to train these foundational models so let's talk about the multimodality what what can this model do and I I think I have a, a good idea but can you talk to us on the multimodal part what does what can those models do in terms of multimodality
7: Uh, yeah so in terms of multimodal yeah if you just you can use it actually on chat.record.ai and i would say the image understanding is pretty good so people have noticed they can recognize text pretty well yeah more nuanced details which tended to be a big issue with vlms like they used to be quite biased or hallucinate a lot i think in record factory notice that dropped a lot so i think kind of Image understanding is, I'd say, yeah, pretty on par with Gemini Pro or a bit better. But yeah, that's up to the jury. The video uh, understanding is also pretty good. Like we limit it to a one-minute input. We do have internally like better things, and like partly we're like bounded by how much we can run like for free. So yeah, I'd say yeah, overall pretty good video understanding and image. We haven't focused too much on audio right now, but that's like definitely on the on the roadmap. Yeah.
0: I. I did run into the audio stuff and I ran a few videos through through the demo and folks definitely should check out the demo. I'll, I'll add this in the show notes and hopefully some folks will add this to the, to the space as well. I uh, I just started uploading like short clips and it's great to hear that you're saying you guys are limited, you're limiting on the demo, uh, but you, you can, if I'm hearing correctly, you can, the model can understand longer videos as well. So I uploaded a video of a a trip that I took to Hawaii and there's a submarine there and somebody was narrating the submarine and he yelled something like there the submarine goes, dive, dive, dive something like this, very excitedly and the model really understood this and actually it it said, the commenter said dive, 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 like this with a bunch of eyes in it and to me, this was like the the, the holy shit moment. I uploaded this video. The narrator was for this video was very excited. I did not expect the model to actually pick up on the excitement. And it was very surprising to me because if you use something like Whisper and you just extract the audio from... The from the video, you would not get this result, you would not get like the the excitement in this person's voice. And while we try to get Max back in, uh, could you so could you mention stuff about audio? Do you train this specifically for audio as much as you can share, obviously, or is it like a a, a byproduct of of just this model being multimodal and understanding and can listen as well?
6: Wait, so let me take a step back. Actually, thanks for sharing that example because I actually had to watch your example to find that. That dive, dive, dive. I actually watched the entire video to <laughs> find that, that, that clip. So I think it was a pretty good clip. To be honest, it also surprised me that you found this example. I, I think I was not also expecting this. But if we co train this with many modalities, so we are not sure like why this this specific case is, is like this. Uh, I think that's all I can say. But probably, yeah, back to one. I can definitely
0: definitely add one thing that this video was for sure not in your training data set because it was a private video of mine that, that didn't exist on the internet before. So it wasn't like a result of this video being in a training set. Max, you rejoined. I hope you heard some of this question as well attributed to you. Did you see this example? Did it cut you off guard as well? Do you see other examples like this that were like very, very surprising in how this model performs?
7: Yeah, I, I saw that. I was surprised. To be honest, one thing I've noticed is that video benchmarks were quite poor. So we, in the question answering data sets, we don't really get a chance to see this, especially ones that use like the speech information and things like that. So uh, I guess really, like, I'm glad you like tested it a lot because yeah, like internally we maybe haven't had a chance to. I think it's the benefit of kind of, yeah, training everything from scratch and adding all the modalities and yeah.
0: That's awesome. So I also want to talk about the fact that you guys released two models and you talked about there's a bigger one. Uh, let's talk about the Edge model. Uh, can, can you talk about are we going to be able to use this on device, I assume? What, what's the play here, at least from what you can say? What, what's the play in terms of using the smaller models? Obviously, smaller models, the benefit of them is using them closer on the Edge and device, and that's how you named it. What's the, what's the thinking about releasing these two models in different sizes, and, and what's your plans for those?
6: Yeah, oh, yeah. So uh, sounds good. Yeah, that's a great question. So for the H model, the seven B model is, I think, it's uh, it's at a the size that it's possible to run it locally. But we're thinking also along the lines of okay, it's actually faster. Like it's just for latency sensitive applications. Sometimes you just need certain things like this uh, slightly faster than the twenty one B model, and it's also cheaper to 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 host for for lots of applications. So I think that's mainly like just uh one of the reasons why seven we also ran lots of ablations at low smaller scale so this this turns out to be the size that we have and i i I think it's mostly mainly for latency sensitive stuff and then like for people who are like for businesses and stuff like they they might just choose to deploy the smaller model if they don't like need our our larger models like the 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 flash or the, the the core model so i think that's really like the idea behind it. and then from the research point of view or at least from the playground point of view right like the, the demo point of view is that people get to 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 get a sense of the feel of the model at a 7b scale and a 21b scale right so that's some kind of you you might be able to to get a sense of like how this setup works at the different scales. So I think that's mainly like why we deploy like two models in the playground just so that people can play with two variants and stuff that not actually not much thought I mean it's not like super complicated it's just, it just just happened this way right but, but yeah that's all I can say yeah
0: Awesome, and so folks can go check out the demo. It looks like you guys are set up for API keys, as far as I understood. So, will developers be able be be able to build with this? What stage are you in? I think you you invited to a Discord or something. Could you talk about how we can play with these models, what we can do, and if there's any expected open source? Because we love open source here on Thursday. Night. If there's anything to talk about there as well, please please feel free to to tell us how to actually try these models beyond the demo and build with them
6: yeah sounds, sounds good so for api actually we, we we have our api as a system already like working and then pe- some people are already using it we are like rolling out access coupling with the building and everything like we're just making sure everything is running very well and then we will roll it out soon so i think that's really like the the idea behind the slightly staged uh api release yeah so that's for apis and then for open source we I, i'll just be here we are constantly we're not sure yet about whether we want to do it or we don't want to do it it's, it's always a question we have but we're not promising anything but we're also not saying no yet so it's like it's a conversation we have very regularly about about this kind of thing so I, so yeah that's currently the stance we have right now but we are, we are writing we're writing a tech report it's not like a paper paper but it's also not going to be that there will be some details in the tech report but not complete details but some details but yeah so i think that's mainly like the extent of like how we're thinking about things right now yeah
0: awesome. So first of all, I want to consider you guys friends of Thursday. I, thanks for coming on the pod. And here, we definitely love open source. We talk about it all, all the time. And uh, we're just like champions of open source. So if you do release anything open source, you're welcome to come back and, uh, as well. E and Max, we have Swix here. I'm actually in Swix's audience, so you can hear them from the my microphone. And Swix has a few follow-up questions for E and, and Max as well. So Swix, go ahead.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. Hey, I actually tried to set up a chat with you uh, when I was in Singapore, but it uh, <laughs> didn't happen. So sorry about that. No uh, worries. But I would actually want to just, just chat with you more about something that you hinted on your announcement post. You talked about how much of the infra you had to rebuild you know, after leaving Google and joining Reka. Every, you said everything from robust training infra, proper human evaluation pipelines, and proper RLHF setups. I was wondering if you can just give us like a preview of what did you miss? What does Google have, and then what, what do you think like the industry could innovate on?
6: Uh, okay, that's a very interesting question. I need to be need to think about what I can say and what I cannot say. But so definitely, I miss GPUs, relative to GPUs, and being like a a, a Googler for all my professional life. Definitely, the infra was completely new to me. And then at record we have a lot of people from GDM and and Google in Alphabet in general. I think a lot of us could I feel the same way. And then. I think in terms of infra, I think GPU tooling is not as robust as at least what I experienced for TPU infra back at, at, at Google. Uh, so I think that's mainly the first thing is the robustness of the the, the training, the, the 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 accelerators itself, right? And then also even things like file I/O is something that people take for granted at, at Google. The file systems, the X manager Bob and stuff orchestrators and stuff like that are like just so well designed at google and then externally is a lot of them are dismissing. missing so i think yeah i i I, yeah i think that's basically on the the training infra side and yeah so so i think i think the tooling for like training like large models is not really super like robust uh, externally like you are you're it's not easy to like just pick off something and then like train like like a hundred B model easily without actually making sure your checkpointing is your your you're resuming your checkpointing your your notes failing and stuff like that. I think those are like hard hard stuff things that that need to be taken care of. But at at, at Google, some some team does that for you. Yeah, yeah. I think that's mainly the TLDR of the training site, Yeah.
1: Then it, does does uh, Google have the equivalent of
0: weights and biases?
6: Tensorbot, I think. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> yeah.
6: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So we don't work with Google yet, but hopefully if if, if folks at Google are listening to us and you want to use kind of weights and biases, definitely reach out. <laughs> but at least you guys, now that you're out of Google, you definitely can. You want to follow up, Swix, or are you? Are we? Oh,
1: I don't know. Did you guys talk about Rika Core already?
0: Yeah, so um, I think yeah, there's not a lot of stuff that you can say about the bigger model that you guys have, but uh, give us a little teaser live for a few folks here on stage. Like, what what can we expect from the bigger model, and maybe when? Like, what can you tell us?
6: So the bigger model, okay. So I can just say that we our, we ourselves are quite impressed by the results, and is if 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 you try to extrapolate from our seven and twenty one based on relative to other models of the scale, you can try to imagine like what the type of metrics look like, right? But I think we are our, we ourselves are ourselves we are quite impressed by, by the, the, the 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 metrics. So like we are I think that's all we can say. I think in the po- we say that coming out in coming weeks is around that that ballpark. It's not like next week, kind of thing. It's also not like one two weeks. It's probably like a couple of weeks. But we just we also kind of like a bit tired after the release. Take a, a yeah. few days light like, break and then start start working again, kind of thing. So yeah, I, I think that that's that's basically what I can say. But it's, I, I we are we, we are very happy in the model and we are excited about it as well. Yeah.
0: All right, so we're, we're excited to see this. I want to uh, flip back to Max just for a second. Max, as as we just talked to like, cover, there's some stuff that I use that you guys watch and Oh, so finally, somebody tested this out. When folks interact with your demo, first of all, I'll just say definitely folks should do the thumbs up, thumbs down, and, and reply so you guys will get some nice RLHF. What other when, venues of like, giving you guys feedback would, would uh, folks can go? Is there a Discord you want to c- call out or anything else you want to add to this as, as we move on?
7: yeah thanks guys we we actually have a discord channel and if people post use cases where maybe our model is doing well or could do better you can post that or maybe there's something you're not happy with the current models like gpt4v also and like i guess because we're such a small team and in an early stage like we're taking a lot of that on board and so yeah if you can point any of that stuff if you have stuff in more detail you can put that on the discord and yeah we're like we're really happy for any feedback
0: awesome are you guys uh, distributed by the way or are you working co-located like where's where's Reca located
7: like all over the globe yeah so yeez in singapore i'm like london sometimes the west coast but yeah it's like a r- remote first company yeah um and also yeah sorry another thing is if uh we have do have job posting so if you guys would uh yeah like the sound of record you can also ap- apply to join we have yeah quite a few positions open yeah
0: as though so definitely folks should give e and max a follow uh e, e max thanks for coming i consider you th- friends of the pod from now on e, anything else you wanna you wanna add uh, as as we finish up and then move to the next interview uh
6: no thanks uh yeah really thanks for inviting it's really nice uh, chatting with you and uh yeah, it's been great uh yeah.
0: I I was like like I said I was blown away by the performance of the multimodality I was blown away by the uh, tonality understanding which I've never experienced in any model so far I heard that it's possible and I I saw some technical stuff I, I never experienced this on something like my videos as well definitely folks should play around with with the demo I'll add this in the show notes and follow E and and Reka and oh yeah one last thing E before you go what's the meaning of Reka I know this is a word in Hebrew that I know but what's what's the meaning of this word like where where did this come from I was really curious.
6: Uh, yeah, I, I think one of the meanings is not official, it's not canon, but like one of the meanings it comes from Rekka in Eureka, like Eureka, like the Rekka in Eureka, oh, I see. but, but it's not, this is not canon, it's just one of the interpretations of of, of, of that, but it's a bit reverse reverse engineer, people ask us, this, this is what we say, but that, that's actually, I think that that's, it's not really like canon, yeah.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys for joining and folks definitely should go check out the demo and I think the tradition continues because now we have, we're moving on to the Diffusion area and we have the the the, the awesome the awesome chance to have Dome here and we just released or I guess we saw this week a new release from Stable Diffusion called Stable Cascade and Dome, uh, I reacted to Imad's tweet about this, hey Imad you want to come to, to Thursday night? and he said Dome and, and I think, did you say Rodrigo as the other guy, are the real heroes and I I want to welcome Dom to the stage. Dom, welcome. Feel free to unmute yourself. Give a brief introduction. Let's talk about, let's talk about Stable Cascade.
8: So, yeah, my, my name's Dom. I joined Stability a couple, actually a couple months only ago. And I'm currently enrolled in, in Germany in a, in a degree. I'm currently finishing that up. And I've met Pablo more than a year ago. And ever since that, we started working on generative models, mostly in uh, vision, so image modality, and also slowly moving uh, into video stuff. And yeah, at some point, so pretty early, we already connected to stability via Lyon. And at some point, they liked what we were doing and liked the progress of how the paper that we called Verstian was going which is German and means sausage. I can tell more about that.
0: Uh, oh, that's you know, what it means. <laughs> it. Okay.
8: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So then we joined, we joined and we joined the apply team and we were able to, to work on the third version of it, which in the end then was called stable cascade just to make it fit in more, not to confuse people where that name comes from, what's this third version about And yeah, <laughs> That's
0: that. Awesome. So let's let's say hi to Pablo as well. Welcome, Pablo. Feel free to introduce yourself. Brief intro from you as well. And Let's talk about what makes Cascade different than SDXL or even uh, the V2. Hey,
9: hi, Alex. A bit above myself. I am a machine learning researcher. I used to work before working at Stability. I w- used to work at Disney, so I was able to bring a lot of interesting ideas from there. And then I yeah I joined Dom, and we have been working on very cool things since since I met him. And the latest
0: is, is our new Stable Cascade. That's awesome. Let's talk about Stable Cascade. I've been able to test this out and the, the things I was able to, the things that, that blew me away were like speed, inference speed as well, but also the base model already has hands built in and they're fine. You, you guys said you're working the worst for a couple of iterations and this became Stable Cascade, like where, talk to me about the history and, and why is it so good and so fast?
8: Okay, yeah yeah so basically the the biggest difference and i think that's what it boils down eventually is the 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 space or the dimension where stuff is generated for, for the text conditional part and for stable diffusion xl is that they have this thing called the vae which takes images and just compresses it down to a smaller space and the only reason to do that is just that you work at a smaller resolution which then gives you faster training and faster inference imagine training or generating stuff at a pixel resolution of 1024 so one megapixel this will be a lot slower than if you try to do the same try to train the same model at what 32 by 32 for example so the idea is you still want to have high high quality high resolution images but you don't want to generate at that very high pixel space so you just try to find something how you can compress it even further and up, up until now people always used vies vqgans normal autoencoders, and so on but they reach limits very early on so you can get to again spatial compression of eight so pablo had this incredible idea of using a a diffusion model to increase that compression basically. And long story short, by using a diffusion model. On top of a normal vae or you could also leave the vae away and just start at pixel space you can achieve much much higher compressions because you have the diffusion model that can iteratively at first at the lower frequencies so the the, the the rough details and then uh, later on at the high frequencies, so at all the details and so it has just a lot more space to reconstruct an image and with that it's possible to to compress images a lot further and the version that we have now achieves a compression of 42 and that makes a huge difference in terms of training and inference time and that's probably what you saw because then Mm -hmm. the big model the 3.6 billion which is quite big for images so stable diffusion xl is 2.2 billion Mm. in the in the large language models so yeah this makes it just a lot faster and then you have this diffusion decoder which works at a lo- at a higher resolution but needs a lot less steps and combining this just gives or uh, results in making the model very fast.
0: That's super cool. I want to switch back to, to to Pablo just real quick. So I'm looking at this graph uh, in for inference speed, but also lo- checked out some of the examples. One thing that I noticed is, the real-time rendering, basically, of how the the, the model kind of searches through the, the, the diffusion space. And the last step just, like, kicks into, like, super high resolution. Um, Pablo, what can you tell us from some, some exciting or maybe surprising results that you've seen or people using it? And, yeah, f- f- feel free to speak about your cool model a little um, bit more.
9: Yeah, I, actually, I have been really surprised on how well this model could, could, could be. We, we, we're not expecting it to be as good as it is. We started this more as an like a, an experimental idea of trying to achieve the same quality of existing models, but focusing on on speed, on performance. But then somehow we ended up with a model that was like very competitive. And yeah, I don't know. I think this last step, as as you mentioned, is the the, the up sampling stage, which is this diffusion model that Dominic mentioned that can bring the image from 24 by 24 latent to uh, one megapixel. And that's why you see this like very big difference between the previous to last and the last step.
0: Yeah, the last step is poof, high quality. I love it.
9: <laughs> yeah, we, we yeah we, we actually provided a, a previewer. So w- when we work in this very highly compressed latent space, um, in order to be able to see what the model is doing, we have this very tiny convolutional um, model that can preview what's going on uh, that's what you're seeing which looks pretty blurry and then yeah the final step does that and yeah why the model can make text enhance. hands um, we're also pretty surprised that the big
0: difference- text is also very impressive i think let, let's not skip over this the out-of-the-box text is so good compared to, let's say, the Stable Diffusion 1.4 what it released, was, uh, which was bigger, right? I think it was like 5 gigabytes or something. This is just miles, miles, miles better. And the text out of the box, hands out of the box is very impressive. Text is super cool as well, very surprising. Yeah, go ahead, please. The
9: the, the biggest difference compared to V2, which was the, our previous iteration of the model, was the size of the, arc of the model and the quality of the data, which I think it shows uh, how important that, that is. And I think probably since some model is able to work on this very, very highly compressed space, it can learn much more efficiently. If, if it has good data, it can learn much more efficiently this, this kind of things. Maybe it learns them faster than other models, which is why yeah, we're able to have these kind of results.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys for coming up. I really wanted to make sure that, yeah, you guys get the recognition because like really, really cool. This is under the stability membership, right? This is not like fully, fully open source, but folks are going to be able to use this model for for their stuff and maybe keep training. Does it support all of the, the, the fine tuning in the LoRa ecosystem as well?
9: Yeah, it yeah, one, yeah. one one detail. It's it's not yet on the, the subscription. It's still for only for research, but it, it will change probably in in the following weeks. You ask about the Loras and ControlNet. Yeah, we we, we, yes. we made sure to provide some example code for training Loras, Control Nets, and the full full fine-tunings on, on our repository. We also provide some pre-trained Control Nets for inpainting for canny edges for Super Resolution, which is not the best Super Resolution model out there, but uh, it's interesting enough to, to share with the community. And we provided a Tiny Laura with Dom's dog, which is, it's pretty fun. And, <laughs> nice. uh, yeah. And I think that's it for now. But that's all the awesome. Way.
0: Thank you for joining and folks definitely give Dom and Pablo a follow. Folks, really great shout out for building this and, and releasing this from Stability and it looks really good and I'm sure the community will adopt this. i already seen a bunch of AI artists in my in my kind of field are are getting very excited about the possibilities here. Thank you for your work and thank you for coming to, for Thursday. I, please feel free to stay because we're going to cover a, a bunch of other stuff uh, as well, like super quick. Uh, meanwhile, I just want to do a quick reset. It's been um, an hour and let's say 35 minutes since we're here. If you're just joining us, you're on the Thursday iX space, which is a live recording for the Thursday i podcast and newsletter. I'm your co host, uh, Alex Volkov. I'm here joined by a co host, Nistan on stage, uh, Yamu Spoken. And we have Swix here who dropped off the stage, but he's in the microphone, and I will uh, move towards a corner that I have, and then I have a surprise for Swix. I'm I'm moving towards a corner that I have usually, which is called This Week's Buzz, where I talk about the stuff that we have, or I learned in Weights and Biases every week. So if you are subscribed to the newsletter, uh, you definitely already know this. I just learn as I go and, and talk about this. If you're not subscribed to the newsletter, why not? I guess you'll be up to date with everything that happens in the world of AI. So definitely check out Thursdayi.news. This is the URL: https://thursdayi.news. And this week's buzz is all about this new course that we released with Hamil Hussein about putting models in production. So I think I've spoken about this before. Weights and Biases has an academy. We release courses, and the courses are free for you. There's a bunch of knowledge. The last one we've talked about was the with Jason Liu about the instructor, and we also have Hamil Hussein who released a course about model management and in production as well. And uh, this is definitely. A very illuminating one, including how to use weights and biases for the like the best companies do open the idas and like uh, uh, Microsoft and Meta, and hopefully we'll get Google at some point definitely a course is worth checking out and signing up for this will be in the show notes as well and I'll post the link as well here and now i'm gonna. Actually, yeah, Swix is now back on stage And here's my surprise uh, If you guys follow Swix's voice You know that he's a co-host of Latent Space Together with Alessio And we're now sitting in the Latent Space a pod studio Which looks incredible The surprise is I don't remember you being on the other side of the mic, so this is like a surprise interview with Alex and Swix, but you're going to be a guest and not a host, and I just wanted to hear about uh, some stuff that you guys are doing and how Latent Space is going, like all these things. So this turns in from Thursday I into Thursday I, like deep dive interview, just a brief one. (laughs) I figured I'd use the opportunity to give you a surprise. This was not staged. Swix told me he may not be able to even join because you just flew back from Singapore. Singapore. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah.
1: Cool. Okay. Yeah. So, as, as <laughs> I every... feel like we
0: talk so much, and you've been a guest on our pod like five times. So, <laughs> yes. And I, I would want to start with how you would introduce yourself to the audience that doesn't know you.
1: So I'm Sux. I mostly work on developer tooling, and and mostly known as the editor or podcaster of the In Space, which has done pretty well. I think we're celebrating our first year anniversary pretty soon, and. And the, the other p- half of my life is I'm working on a small AI and AI engineer conference, which we, just, which we just announced for June 25th
0: to 27th. Yeah. You've had quite a long career in DX as well. I think Netlify, you had a stint in Netlify? Yeah, so I was one me. of
1: their earliest employees slash DevRel of Netlify. That's where a lot of people know me. That's where I became quote unquote famous in developer tooling and in React specifically, because I did a lot of content on React and serverless mm-hmm. uh, speaking and writing. And then I've been head of developer experience for uh, Temporal
0: Airbytes, mm-hmm. and then uh, also spent a year at AWS uh, working on the same thing. Mm, awesome! I also from that kind of that side of your career, uh, you work with the Chroma guys as well. And yes, Chroma just announced that they have been a year around, and like like millions of uh, companies have probably had uh, uh, something to do with that. So sh- shout out Jeff and. Uh, well, I'm blanking out on the guy's name. Anton. Anton. Thank yeah, yeah. Thank I
1: consulted uh, for uh, them on their DevRel when they were doing the, their their first hackathon uh, a year ago, actually. Yeah. And yeah, I think they're. It seems like they are the leaders in open source vector databases. Retool. We we did a chat or interview with David Sue, who's a founder of Retool, mm. and Retool did a state of AI survey among their customers, what they're using and Chroma was like up and to the right in terms of the adoption and the NPS score, mm. which I think NPS is actually a very important metric to keep tracking. Yeah, yeah really, really cool. Glad to be involved with Chroma. Uh,
0: definitely shout out Chroma. They're doing great things. They're hopefully their managed service is coming soon and we're going to have uh, folks. Um, You've been also prolific in writing. Like I know many people go to your blogs and like the stuff that you have. How many publications in total are you like publishing your content in right now? You have your your own personal one? You have yeah, Later I Space? have three
1: blogs. Three blogs. But Lane Space is the currently primary active blog. I have a personal one and then I have a developer tools advising one because I do a bunch of angel investing and advising for people. Uh, and I don't know, I think more people should blog. <laughs> it helps you think through what you think that and uh, uh, share your knowledge with other people. And also, actually the most valuable thing is the most embarrassing thing, which is when you get things wrong, mm. people will come out and correct you and you will be embarrassed for a second,
0: but then you'll remember the lesson forever. Can you give me and an example of something that you, you went wrong and people corrected you and then, and then this improved your thinking?
1: I mean, let's just say I had one yesterday or f- mm. into coming into today, right? Because I do a monthly recap yeah. where I think what Thursday Eye does is recap news every week. Every week. And then other people like NLW from the breakdown recaps news every day. Mm-hmm. And I think the lower frequency granularity of a month means that I only get to do 12 of these a year. <laughs> and that forces me to think through, okay, what is really actually important when you step back and think about it? And for my January recap, January was a slow month, to be mm-hmm. honest. Today was more news than January. B- yes. So I was like, I was trying to recap January, and I was like, okay, nothing super interesting this month. What do we, if we step back, is important for AI progress? And I listed a bunch of things, mm-hmm. long inference and all that. One thing I specifically said was not interesting for state-of-the-art models was long context. <laughs> I said that yesterday. It's published. I sent it out to thirty-five thousand people, including Satya Nadella, Drew Houston, and
0: all the people who read the newsletter. Satya doesn't read. He also participates. Like he clicks on links. Like, yeah. There's an engagement, <laughs> active engagement from Satya from LinkedIn space. Um, um, so,
1: it's, so it's embarrassing, but also it just forces me to think about: okay, how much do I really believe mm. in million token in ten million token context? And I know now. Today, I learned that Nat Friedman strongly disagrees, yeah. and, and that's good. And that's Google. that's useful to update. And Google, of and course. Google, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it, it's it's a f- basically uh, so it's not about that specific point because we can always debate the pros and cons of that. But the act of writing down what you believe and taking strong opinions instead of saying that everything is awesome, yeah. instead of celebrating uh, every little bit of progress as equally important, you have to rank them, mm. and. Being wrong in your rankings gives you information to update your rankings. Yeah. And if you don't give yourself the chance to be wrong, then you don't
0: really learn. Okay. I'm willing to be wrong like almost every <laughs> week, which is which is awesome. And yes. um so You publish a bunch of stuff. Some of the stuff that you publish turns into more than just an article. You have essays. And I think the one essay that I remember obviously is about the AI engineer essay. Talk to me about thinking about how you approach writing this. Is that stuff that you saw? And I think as background, for folks who are not familiar with you and where you are in, in, you're sitting in the middle of the arena that you helped also coin in San Francisco, right? We're in the middle of Soma Mission, Hayes Valley somewhere there, if I'm not confusing. We're in this space, it's called Newton that you're also like I think you're you're plugging in in latent space where tons of companies that we know from the Twitter sphere are just literally behind us here. There's a tab with Avi and uh, Julius with Rahul like like a bunch of other other companies like sitting right here building like very cool things. And, and and this is an example of one of those kind of hubs within the bigger bubble of, of San Francisco. And you, as far as I'm concerned, are very plugged into this, even before coming to AI Engineer, right? And potentially, this is the reason why AI Engineer, the conference, had so many amazing speakers on stage. Because... Very, I think you told me back then, a lot of like personal favors were pulled to get some folks yeah. uh, to, to show up on that. on that. And as somebody who's an outsider from Denver, where I sit, right, this is this is incredible to see, but also it's very hard to penetrate and understand like what's going on and where the trends are. And this is part of the reason for Thursday I. So you're sitting in the middle of this, you know, all, have all these connections. You said you're an angel investor as well. How does this shape your thinking about the i Engineer? Do these old people talk in like the hackathons and how do you draw to create something like this that's, that's fairly seminal, that now people are considering themselves AI engineers.
1: Okay, oh, okay. So there's there's two questions here, uh, if I can do a rag on your questions. Yeah, please. Um, which is, <laughs> that one, how do you write impactful perspectives or come up with interesting ideas that will stick around? And two, how do you make sense of San Francisco, especially as an outsider? Yeah. And people, I think people can hear in my voice that I'm not American, I'm Singaporean. Mm and the last 7 years of my developer career i did not spend in san francisco mm. i only moved here in april of last year you don't have to be in sf to have a background in tech oh i think the other the other thing i should offer as context is that i i have been blogging for quite a bit yep. i often say that you have to blog 50 times a year but in order to get like one post a, a year that it that makes up the entire year. It's the one that people know you for. So this is my sort of fourth, or fifth, uh, quote unquote, industry defining blog post. Mm. So I, I, I've done this for serverless runtimes and cloud orchestration mm. and AWS. So so I've done this before, and I I knew how I knew the work that goes into writing something like this. Um, a- Rise of AI Engineer took two months. Mm. Um, I had wow. a few potential collaborators. Um, who ultimately uh, did not co-author, but uh, was, were, were heavily, heavily involved. Um, and so I can talk about the, the writing of the post, but the, the main inspiration is trying to figure out what is important directions. And it is not purely about coining a term, which I think is a very vanity metric, yeah. but it is about picking directions in terms of identifying what is wrong about the zeitgeist. Mm. At, if you rewind this time one year ago, People were very much focusing on prompt engineering. People were worried about the end of jobs for AI for, for engineers, for software engineers. And I think both have been proven wrong in terms of the scope of the prompt engineer. Not like now you no longer really hear about professional prompt engineers mm. because it's been replaced by the AI engineer who can code. Yep. And I think the importance of the ability to code to wield AI makes you a thousand times more effective than people who use AI without the ability to code. And I think identifying this core difference in ability, um, understanding that uh, this stack is starting pretty thin and small, but it's going to grow over time, understanding that it is fundamentally very different from the ML engineer stack is a a part of the mix that made me convinced that AI engineer would be a category to invest in, which is why I started... The conference and then pivoted the newsletter and podcast.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about that as well. So definitely the audience that uh, Thursday Eye draws, at least in part, is AI engineers, but also in part like folks who are trained and fine-tuned models. And I've noticed like a little bit of a... Uh, AI engineering is almost like a, like a, the gateway drug into the larger AI stuff, because uh, at, le- at least the folks that I'm familiar with, the folks who are like JSTS devs, that did the Netlify stint, that did React, et cetera, they're starting to build with these tools. The tools are like uh, significantly easier to get into than ML, than traditional ML. You just do some API calls, open AI exposes a bunch of stuff, and suddenly you're like, oh, okay, I have I've tapped to all this power, this incredible power. I'm building intuitions about how to use this power. I'm building intuitions how to put this power in production for my users. They tell me some feedback how do I do more of this? Am I only limited to OpenAI? Or maybe I can go to the open source and try some stuff like this. Maybe I can do Olama, which by the way, shout out to Llama, our friends, just released the Windows thing. Maybe I can do this like locally on device. Maybe I can do this on Edge on, on Cloudflare, for example. All these new tools are popping up and these people are sounding like, from a very limited scope of API users, are growing into API users who also have an intuition about prompting is just one of those things, embedding in RAG and better RAG systems, like we've seen some folks uh, going there. So definitely the scope grows and as as every category like front end was a very tiny scope javascript html on the client and suddenly like it became a full stack you, you have prompt end, like front end ops uh, and like all of these like things so scope grows um where do people learn about this new and upcoming thing? And I think, like, the conference is w- one such way. So uh, we've talked about the conference. This is actually not your first time. i just remembering we, I, I interviewed you after the conference for the full oh, hour yeah. that we had a co- full conversation. It wasn't about SWIX. So how was the conference after the conference received? How How did your direction into thinking about latent space and kind of exposing AI in San Francisco to the world? And uh, let's take this to the kind of the next conference where you want to take us. Oh. What happened to the AI engineer? Yeah. Um. I think I asked like three or four yeah, questions, I know. Down, <laughs> however you want. Uh, so the conference was really good, but I, I actually
1: classify that as the end of a process rather than the start of a process. It basically recaps um, the work that people are doing in the industry over the past year, um, and then I get to curate and pick and invite people to present uh, the, the best of their work and their, their thought, and I think that's a very privileged position. Um, and then for me, um, the work begins after the conference for the next, the next thing. And I picking directions and having so last year was like a single track conference. This year yeah. for World's Fair we're doing nine st-
0: stages. When is that just for the audience?
1: June twenty-fifth to twenty seven. June twenty-fifth.
0: So yeah, make and, sure and have, you sign up. Yeah yeah, awesome. yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. We're we're going four times bigger this year, two thousand people. And oh, wow. last year seventeen thousand people tuned in on the live stream and hopefully we'll have we'll have more impact this year. But yeah, I, I think for me actually is a really good way to think about, okay, who do people want to hear from? who actually did impactful work that um, I will be proud to showcase 10 years from now. Mm. Uh, I'm always thinking about the test of time. Mm. And I was very inspired by New Reps where they actually had a test of time award. And oh. I was like, man. Like, did Jeremy Howard
0: get it or something, if I'm remember correctly, No, Jeff Dean. Jeff Dean. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, yes. for the, Shout out uh, Jeff Dean
0: for today, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah word to VEC. I, I always said Some people are speculating what is test of time for next year and it was like Ilya cover if he ever shows his face again yeah. and then I was like but I know what's going to win the test of time for 2027 Tell me, which is attention is all you need attention is all you need definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, but it, it, basically it's a flex for any, any conference to say okay test of time award goes to something that was presented here 10 years ago yeah. and that And Neurus has been going on for 37 years. So what of
0: the AI engineer presentations would stand the test of time?
1: (laughs) Well, the the audience has voted. It looks like Pydantic and Jason Liu's instructor Mm. is very, 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 very popular. And I think he's he's just fundamentally correct that every model, instead of... There's like some table stakes versions of every model. You have the base model when you train it. Then you have the chat tune model... And now I think it's going to be table stakes that every model should have structured output or function calling, yeah. as, as they call it. And it's even useful if you're not actually using it to, to generate code or call code because it's very good for chain of thought. Mm-hmm. And so Max Wolf, Mini Maxer on Twitter and on Hacker News, actually wrote a really influential post that I'm going to try to showcase. Yeah, for me as a conference curator, that's what I do. Like I, I read a lot of stuff and then I try to, try to feature like the best of, of things and also try to make bets um, that are, are important. Mm. Um, I, I I do think as content creators, like we're like the end of the food chain, end of the, the value chain, mm. um, and it's always important to understand like like even stuff that we don't pick is very important and, and uh, substantial, and it's um, you're you're picking for an audience to use at work, which is a small subset of the total progress that humanity can make. Interesting, interesting. Right? Tell me more about this. No, I just, like, if you want to engage in philosophical conversation, you go to Lex Friedman mm. or Dorkesh Patel. Yeah. And then if you want to think, talk about things that you can use in open source, you go to Thursday AI. And then we have less of an open source focus. We're, mm-hmm. we're very much focused on enterprise and things you things you can use at work to code and to build products and startups with. And so, like, I, whatever you do, as, as long as you have a clear focus for the, of the audience that you serve and you know how to reach them, then they will love you because you are, you're making literally the thing for them. Yeah. And you don't have to appeal to everyone. And I think that's fine. So, uh,
0: switching gears from the, kind of the, the conference, how did the podcast come about? It's, you said you're coming up on the year of the podcast, yeah. and you also said you moved here in April. I did not know this. I thought yeah. you are here for the SF native. Yeah, so yeah. how did the podcast get about how you and Alessio met? Let's talk about Latent space Yeah,
1: and we that. should talk about doing well in San Francisco and like the tech scene in, in, in the U.S., I think, which, I, which I think is important and something I'm going through but have also done well at. Yeah. So the podcast specifically was because I started the newsletter writing opinion pieces on just AI stuff. Mm-hmm. It was actually inspired by Stable Diffusion at the time, which was sort of August 2022-ish. Same. Um, My life
0: changed after that open sourcing.
1: Yeah. And then you you really run out of opinions very quickly. (laughs) And then uh, you're like, oh, I need to generate unique or new tokens. The only way to do that is to get source material by interviewing people and putting a microphone in front of them. When you put microphones in front of people, they get more chatty. And sometimes they break news. For us, the the big breakthrough was George Hotz when he talked about GPT-4 with being a mixture of experts. experts. Yeah, that was
0: that was a surprise. But he likes to do that sort of thing, just, think just drop w- random alpha. He he dropped it, and then you guys posted it, and then I had no idea what mixture of experts is. Yep. Yeah, yeah. As well as like most of us, and then it turns out to be like true. And now we we saw now the Gemini's Gemini's mixture of Experts, the 1.5, which is c- quite incredible. Mm. So that was like a big thing. Did was this like natural to you to start turning on the microphone? Did you have to do an adjustment? Oh yeah. Period?
1: Another thing that people don't know is that I started four podcasts before. Oh, okay. So I'm not (laughs) new to
0: the conversation
1: game, and I'm not new to, like, Audacity and, like, editing and publishing. But I think having taken a few runs at it helps to... Prep you for like when something actually has audience fit, mm. because all the others were very small. There are maybe like a few hundred listeners each time. Yeah. This one went to number ten on the U.S. tech chart. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> incredible. Um, is that the top?
0: Topest? Uh, like, I what? think
1: that's the highest it's been recently. When it was like as high as sixteen over the holidays, yeah. and then now it's dropped back down again.
0: It's very very volatile. But it's like very clear that you're in the top fifty like tech podcast in the world, yeah. even though AI is fairly niche and the topics you discuss are very technical like when yeah. you talk with folks it's not a general appeal audience for like Sheridan does or the the guys from the four guys the VCs right it's very technical so very impressive that like you broke the top 50 uh, charts and it wasn't by chance you, you bring like great guests like how do you is the same approach that you have for the engineer you you do for guests as well or are you now getting like requests to come on the podcast from some other folks like, We
1: get how, requests but you usually for the the people that draw the audiences, you have to go reach out to them. It's yep. obviously, yeah. that's how it is. Um, I heard
0: one such person now does not work in OpenAI so he can potentially, <laughs> potentially join podcasts as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a he's a, he's a a listener and he has said that he'll come on
1: at some point. We're uh, talking about
0: just, bad Mephisto for folks in the audience. <laughs> um,
1: so yeah, uh, I don't think it's actually just guests. Mm. I think it's also about focus on topics and then being engaged enough with the material that you get to ask questions that no one else asks. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, if you have a VC asking questions, they often ask about market and business. But if you're an engineer, you're really asking about API and limitations and trade-offs, yeah. stuff like that. Things that you don't really get into un- unless you're like actually evaluating it to use something at work. And I think that's important. And also, I think a lot of guests, for us, we try to be like the first podcast that somebody has done. Like we are the first podcast for for Fine for Cursor for a, a bunch of these guys, so they're not experienced speakers. Mm. They're not. Some of them are good speakers, but they're not experienced at the whole telling their story and all that. So you have to help them, but it doesn't matter because I think that you just try to serve your audience at the end of the day, right? What do people want to know? Ask those questions and then get out of the way and let them talk. Yep. I think that the other thing that we do. The reason I say it's not just guests is because we do special episodes where we have breaking news. We haven't done one in a while. Because, I don't know, I think, I think you, got, you have taken that spot of, I mean, of the breaking of it, news right? guy. <laughs> <laughs> we, got
0: the, we got three breaking news, you were here. This is kind of like that as well. And
1: then we also do like event recaps. Like we did Dev Day, mm. we did New Rips, And that is like a really big sort of editing process work that I really like to do. Mm. Where you're basically performing the work of summarization and uh, curation instead of doing
0: long form interviews. And uh, people really like that. The summarization part, like yeah. the multiple folks. I think I participated in one. You did one in Dev Day in Europe as well. So what's what's now that we're coming up on an annual kind of thing for for latent space? What's yeah. next for latent space?
1: More conversations.
0: Honest, th- that's the that's the weird thing. We we think that we've done and
1: like have done as well as uh, a technical podcast can do in the, the general podcasting space. Uh, the ultimate number of people who listen to podcasts is still very low mm. compared to the general audience that uh, might be interested in the same kind of content. Yeah. That, that's why I branch out into a conference where you produce talks and very highly polished and all that. We, The way to grow a podcast is to not just podcast, it's to actually write where m- my essays still get a lot more uh, readers than listeners than to go on YouTube or whatever, and that's fine. I think ultimately podcasting is a mix of entertainment and and. Education, right? You have to be attached to some kind of story, some kind of personality, and and then learn something along the way that might be useful at work. So I think personally, growing as a podcaster is about just growing your influence or understanding of an industry in general and the ability to serve an audience, and then maybe opening up as hosts and as industry experts as we gain knowledge and understanding, so that people come to us not just for access to guests, but access to us as well, which mm. people have, when we did the end-of-year listener survey, people actually requested for us to have more mic time. Yes, Alessio and I did our first just-the-two-of-us conversation in a year, and uh, that was really good. Wow. So are you playing more more of those? Yeah. yeah. We, so we used, used to do these one-on-one episodes where we do introductions to a topic. Like we did Datasets 101, mm-hmm. Benchmarks 101, and we wanted we, we did uh, Transformer Math 101, and then we also did RLHF 201. And so we want to do more of those where it's like, it's like inspired by Acquired FM. And the work for this kind of episode is so different yeah. than a normal chat because a normal chat, you just sit down and you, you maybe you prep a bit, a bit of question, you, you research the other guy's background and then you just have a nice conversation and that's it. Whereas for a content heavy episode like that one, you do a week of research and you combine a whole bunch of stuff and you... Simmer it in your mind and then you try to rehash it and introduce it for an audience who hasn't done that amount of work. Yeah, that that is a lot more work up front, but obviously it's a very high value. And, and also, I, th- I like to call it evergreen, evergreen content, meaning like yeah. you want to build up something that will still be useful and relevant
0: in a year. Yeah, so definitely let me let me just take a personal position here with latent space. I've been uh, a guest host in in Latent Space a couple of times in special episodes as well. I now this, this studio is like super cool, like a home away from home. They able to do, to come here, do the spaces, chat with you, chat with Alessio, and tap into the AI scene in San Francisco. And I've learned a bunch from just the way you run Latent Space. For folks who are listening, is not only just a podcast. So if you if you're subscribing on just the, your Spotify or Apple News, you're missing a big part of it, which is the newsletter that you send, which has a bunch of links and show notes and and folks that you talk about part there's another discord oh there's also discord you do paper readings as well right there's yeah. a whole community that uh, you're building
1: it, this the discord is surprisingly good for for the zero effort that i put into it <laughs> <laughs> people just show up and then they they, they ask really very good questions they, they drop things that i don't know and then oh. i learn from the discord and then i talk about it later but <laughs> yeah discord has a lot of alpha uh, it's and it's surprising because i have this newsletter that i have this bot that summarizes all the top ai discords e. right obviously the top ones are like eluther the bloke what else yeah mi- mi- yeah but it, it's not that's not very technical not very that's technical. mostly just uh, prompting mitran has 8 million members that's something like 13% of total discord yeah. membership which <laughs> is freaking crazy but anyway so like the discord is the community attachment to the podcast and the newsletter and then it's people interacting with each other, some people getting jobs, some people getting investments. I have founders coming in and VCs there also funding them. And like I, I really think that every every piece of content is a minimum viable community, right? People gather, they're chatting in the, the Twitter space comments right now, they're t- chatting in your newsletter yeah. comment section. But if you let people gather together live, whether it's online or in person, we also have in-person meetups. I just had one in Singapore. We have one in San Francisco, I think monthly. Or I hope to have it monthly, and then obviously once a year you get people together for a really big conference where like they put out their best work. So I call this community annealing, right? Mm. You have cold community, like podcasts are cold, and newsletters are cold because they're asynchronous. There's there's not somebody there. You don't expect to to respond to the other person. Twitter Spaces are warm mm. because they're live and there's some some chance of live feedback. Discords are live, but when you when you when they're hot is when like everyone is on the same call, and you're looking at each other's eyes, yeah. and you're conversing, and you're, you're having like a real bond and relationship there. And so like communities need this whole range of like
0: warm and hot and cold, and I try to build that for Latent Space. So for folks who are just listening on podcasts, you're missing several parts of Latent Space. Yeah. The newsletter is definitely worth checking out. in that space is the actual URL, it's a cool URL. Uh, but and also- that was donated by a Reader. Oh, really? Not donated, sold to us for cheap you could consider this a donation but also the discord part speaking of work that I think we need to wrap up because like we're after two hours and I want to let you go back to work I also need to edit this and send this I also want to check out the stuff that that we did any last kind of parting things here maybe let's touch briefly or is that a bigger conversation how to succeed in SF or is that for later? oh yeah yeah, yeah. oh man Uh,
1: this is such an interesting topic especially for people who are not in SF right I think SF is a group of humans and not a place and they are mostly available on Twitter, yeah. but then sometimes the, the, they, they often gather in, in San Francisco and Yes, when you meet them in person, there are some people that are not famous online or or not fully consistently candid online yeah. that you talk to, talk to them in person, they're like, "Oh, okay, like, I fully understand you now, and everything that you 've done and everything that you 're going to do, I understand where you 're coming from mm-hmm. and to me, that is obviously a very high alpha that 's why I moved here but you you don't have to go there directly, right? One of my mentors in career is Andrew Chen, mm. who basically blogs his way into being a general partner at Andrews and Horowitz. Like he runs one of their top three funds, the consumer fund. And he consistently is, hey, just put out your best work, learn in public, tweet a lot. Uh, and instead of going to all these parties, there's always, there's always a party every week in San Francisco. Of like every day, multiple every day. stacks a day sometimes, yeah. There was one Thursday last year that with 10 AI meetups san francisco (laughs) so you can go through the motions of networking but you still end up with a smaller network than you would if you stayed at home and you just wrote a lot Mm. or you thought a lot or you did quality work and so then you don't have to be in san francisco to do that you can just you can keep doing that (laughs) online and then take advantage of a big conference or something to come into san francisco and actually meet people in person and that's totally fine i don't intend to stay in san francisco forever right Mm. i have once i know enough people i can just come here like once a quarter and people will still think that I'm in San Francisco, yeah. and that's fine. It's, I get
0: this question quite a lot. I've been here maybe this is the fourth or fifth time for the past yeah. six months. And I get this question: Do you live here? I was like, No.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think people are just like borders. I, I'm a border disrespecter, yeah. and I think I hope more people do that. But do come into San Francisco every now and then, maybe for a, a big conference that's happening June 25th to 27th. Yeah. But otherwise, do great work online, and people will notice it and find you and chat with you. And the in-person Component doesn't matter so much as uh,
0: plugging into the mentality and the community online. Yeah, so that's been a surprise interview. I didn't plan on this. I just thought we're here. I haven't heard you in a while. The anniversary of latency is coming up. Huge kudos for this effort. Like huge kudos. Thanks. Big, 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 big thank you for me because a lot of what the stuff that you did you and Alessio pulled me through. I, I still get like a bunch of listeners for Thursday I from the Latent Space Rec on Substack. And so a huge thanks for me because you, you kind of shaped what I'm doing as well. The newsletter and the podcast combo that I force myself to doing every week, this was this was based on the Substack stuff uh, from you as well. And I really appreciate your your friendship as well. So thank you for coming up on Thursday I Thanks for hosting us in Latent Space. And with that, I think I'll move on to the last piece of what we have on Thursday I folks, which is a recap of everything we talked about. And then I'll just briefly run to recap and i'll let you go to your day we hadn't let me just start with the music obviously because like how else would this work however uh with that i just want to wish you a great thursday thank you for joining us from week to week um I want to thank the co-hosts that I had on stage. Uh, thank you, Nistan. Thank you, Jan. Thank you, LDJ. 4 was here. Alignment was here. Thank you. A huge thank you for Swix, Alessio, and uh, the Latent Space folks for uh, hosting me here. Uh, shout out to to a bunch of friends in Silicon Valley who I'm going to meet. And um, with that, we'll see you next week. I'm going to go and try to somehow summarize this all in the newsletter and the podcast for you. And we'll see you folks next week. From San Francisco, this has been Alex Volkov. Cheers, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.